0: Section 11 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 11, Chapter 39. Part five. These events passed with such rapidity that men had no leisure to admire sufficiently one incident when they were surprised with a new one equally rare and uncommon. There still, however, remained one difficulty which it was not easy to foresee how the queen and Bothwell, determined as they were to execute their shameful purpose, could find expedient to overcome the man who had procured the subscription of the nobility recommending him as a husband to the queen and who had acted this seeming violence on her person in order to force her to consent had been married two years before to another woman to a woman of merit of a noble family sister to the earl of huntley but persons blinded by passion and infatuated with crime soon shake off all appearance of decency a suit was commenced for a divorce between bothwell and his wife and this suit was opened at the same instant in two different or rather opposite courts in the court of the archbishop of st landrews which was popish and governed itself by the canon law and in the new consistorial or commissariat court which was protestant and was regulated by the principles of the reformed teachers the plea advanced in each court was so calculated as to suit the principles which there prevailed in the archbishop's court the pretence of consanguinity was employed because bothwell was related to his wife in the fourth degree in the commissariat court the accusation of adultery was made use of against him the parties too who applied for the divorce were different in the different courts bothwell was the person who sued in the former his wife in the latter and the suit in both courts was opened pleaded examined and decided with the utmost precipitation and a sentence of divorce was pronounced in four days the divorce being thus obtained it was thought proper that mary should be conducted to edinburgh and should there appear before the courts of judicature and should acknowledge herself restored to entire freedom this was understood to be contrived in a view of obviating all doubts with regard to the validity of her marriage Orders were then given to publish in the church the bands between the Queen and the Duke of Orkney, for that was the title which he now bore, and Craig, a minister of Edinburgh, was applied to for that purpose. This clergyman, not content with having refused compliance, publicly in his sermons condemned the marriage, and exhorted all who had access to the Queen to give her their advice against so scandalous an alliance being called before the council to answer for this liberty he showed a courage which might cover all the nobles with shame on account of their tameness and servility he said that by the rules of the church the earl of bothwell being convicted of adultery could not be permitted to marry that the divorce between him and his former wife Was plainly procured by collusion, as appeared by the precipitation of the sentence, and the sudden conclusion of his marriage with the queen, and that all the suspicions which prevailed with regard to the king's murder, and the queen's concurrence in the former rape, would thence receive undoubted confirmation. He therefore exhorted Bothwell, who was present, no longer to persevere in his present criminal enterprises, and turning his discourse to the other counsellors he charged them to employ all their influence with the queen in order to divert her from a measure which would load her with eternal infamy and dishonour not satisfied even with this admonition he took the first opportunity of informing the public from the pulpit of the whole transaction and expressed to them his fears that notwithstanding all remonstrances their sovereign was still obstinately bent on her fatal purpose for himself he said he had already discharged his conscience and yet again would take heaven and earth to witness that he abhorred and detested that marriage as scandalous and hateful in the sight of mankind but since the great as he perceived either by their flattery or silence gave countenance to the measure he besought the faithful to pray fervently to the almighty that a resolution taken contrary to all law reason and good conscience might by the divine blessing be turned to the comfort and benefit of the church and kingdom these speeches offended the court extremely and craig was anew summoned before the council to answer for his temerity in thus passing the bounds of his commission but he told them that the bounds of his commission were the word of god good laws and natural reason and were the queen's marriage tried by any of these standards it would appear infamous and dishonorable and would so be esteemed by the whole world the council were so overawed by this heroic behaviour in a private clergyman that they dismissed him without further censure or punishment but though this transaction might have recalled bothwell and the queen of scots from their infatuation and might have instructed them in the dispositions of the people as well as in their own inability to oppose them they were still resolute to rush forward to their own manifest destruction the marriage was solemnized by the bishop of orkney a protestant who was afterwards deposed by the church for this scandalous compliance few of the nobility appeared at the ceremony they had most of them either from shame or fear retired to their own houses the french ambassador le croc an aged gentleman of honor and character could not be prevailed on though a dependent of the house of Guise, to countenance the marriage by his presence. Elizabeth remonstrated by friendly letters and messages against the marriage. The court of France made like opposition, but Mary, though on all other occasions she was extremely obsequious to the advice of her relations in that country, was here determined to pay no regard to their opinion. The news of these transactions being carried to foreign countries filled europe with amazement and threw infamy not only on the principal actors in them but also on the whole nation who seemed by their submission and silence and even by their declared approbation to give their sanction to these scandalous practices the scots who resided abroad met with such reproaches that they durst nowhere appear in public and they earnestly exhorted their countrymen at home to free them from the public odium by bringing to condign punishment the authors of such atrocious crimes this intelligence with a little more leisure for reflection roused men from their lethargy and the rumours which from the very beginning had been spread against mary as if she had concurred in the king's murder seemed now the subsequent transactions to have received a strong confirmation and authority it was everywhere said that even though no particular and direct proofs had yet been produced of the queen's guilt the whole tenor of her late conduct was sufficient not only to beget suspicion but to procure entire conviction against her that her sudden resolution of being reconciled to her husband whom before she had long and justly hated, her bringing him to court from which she had banished him by neglects and rigors, her fitting up separate apartments for him, were all of them circumstances which, though trivial in themselves, yet being compared with the subsequent events, bore a very unfavorable aspect for her. That the least which, after the king's murder, might have been expected in her situation, was a more than usual caution in her measures, and an extreme anxiety to punish the real assassins in order to free herself from all reproach and suspicion, that no woman who had any regard to her character would allow a man publicly accused of her husband's murder so much as to approach her presence, far less give him a share in her counsels, and endow him with favor and authority that an acquittal merely in the absence of accusers was very ill-fitted to satisfy the public especially if that absence proceeded from a designed precipitation of the sentence and from the terror which her known friendship for the criminal had infused into every one that the very mention of her marriage to such a person in such circumstances was horrible and the contrivances of extorting a consent from the nobility and of concerting a rape, were gross artifices more proper to discover her guilt than prove her innocence, that where a woman thus shows a consciousness of merited reproach, and instead of correcting provides only thin glosses to cover her exceptionable conduct, she betrays a neglect of fame, which must either be the effect or the cause of the most shameful enormities, that to espouse a man who had a few days before been so scandalously divorced from his wife who to say the least was believed to have a few months before assassinated her husband was so contrary to the plainest rules of behaviour that no pretence of indiscretion or imprudence could account for such a conduct that a woman who so soon after her husband's death Though not attended with any extraordinary circumstances contracts a marriage which might in itself be the most blameless cannot escape severe censure but one who overlooks for her pleasure so many other weighty considerations was equally capable in gratifying her appetites to neglect every regard to honour and humanity that mary was not ignorant of the prevailing opinion of the public with regard to her own guilt and of the inferences which would everywhere be drawn from her conduct and therefore if she still continued to pursue messages which gave such just offence she ratified by her actions as much as she could by the most formal confession all the surmises and imputations of her enemies that a prince was here murdered in the face of the world bothwell alone was suspected and accused if he were innocent nothing could absolve him either in mary's eyes or those of the public but the detection and conviction of the real assassin yet no inquiry was made to that purpose though a parliament had been assembled the sovereign and his wife was here plainly silent from guilt the people from terror, that the only circumstance which opposed all these presumptions, or rather proofs, was the benignity and goodness of her preceding behavior, which seemed to remove her from all suspicions of such atrocious inhumanity, but that the characters of men were extremely variable, and persons guilty of the worst actions were not always naturally of the worst and most criminal dispositions that a woman, who in a critical and dangerous moment had sacrificed her honor to a man of abandoned principles, might thenceforth be led blindfold by him to the commission of the most enormous crimes, and was in reality no longer at her own disposal, and that though one supposition was still left to alleviate her blame, namely that Bothwell presuming on her affection towards him had of himself committed the crime, and had never communicated it to her. Yet such a sudden and passionate love to a man whom she had long known could not easily be accounted for, without supposing that some degree of preceding guilt, and as it appeared that she was not afterwards restrained either by shame or prudence from incurring the highest reproach and danger, it was not likely that a sense of duty or humanity would have a more powerful influence over her these were the sentiments which prevailed throughout scotland and as the protestant teachers who had great authority had long borne an animosity to mary the opinion of her guilt was by that means the more widely diffused and made the deeper impression on the people some attempts made by bothwell and as is pretended with her consent to get the young prince into his power excited the most serious attention and the principal nobility even many of those who had formerly been constrained to sign the application in favour of bothwell's marriage met at Stirling, and formed an association for protecting the prince and punishing the king's murderers the earl of athole himself a known catholic was the first author of this confederacy. The earls of Argyle, Morton, Mar, Glencairn, the lords Boyd, Lindsay, Hume, Semple, Kirkady of Grange, Tullibardine, and secretary Liddington, entered zealously into it. The earl of Murray, foreseeing such turbulent times, and being desirous to keep free of these dangerous factions, had some time before desired and obtained mary's permission to retire into france lord hume was first in arms and leading a body of eight hundred horse suddenly environed the queen of scots and bothwell in the castle of borthwick they found means of making their escape to dunbar while the confederate lords were assembling their troops at edinburgh and taking measures to effect their purpose Had Bothwell been so prudent as to keep within the fortress of Dunbar, his enemies must have dispersed for want of pay and subsistence. But hearing that the associated lords were fallen into distress, he was so rash as to take the field and advance towards them. The armies met at Carberry Hill, about six miles from Edinburgh and mary soon became sensible that her own troops disapproved of her cause and were averse to spill their blood in the quarrel after some bravadoes of bothwell where he discovered very little courage she saw no resource but that of holding a conference with kirkcuddy of grange and of putting herself on some general promises into the hands of the confederates she was conducted to edinburgh amidst the insults of the populace who reproached her with her crimes and even held before her eyes which way soever she turned a banner on which were painted the murder of her husband and the distress of her infant son mary overwhelmed with her calamities had recourse to tears and lamentations meanwhile bothwell during her conference with grange fled unattended to dunbar and fitting out a few small ships set sail for the orkneys where he subsisted during some time by piracy he was pursued thither by grange and his ship was taken with several of his servants who afterwards discovered all the circumstances of the king's murder and were punished for the crime bothwell himself escaped in a boat and found means to get a passage to denmark where he was thrown into prison lost his senses and died miserably about ten years after an end worthy of his flagitious conduct and behaviour the queen of scots now in the hands of an enraged faction met with such treatment as a sovereign may naturally expect from subjects Who have their future security to provide for as well as their present animosity to gratify it is pretended that she behaved with a spirit very little suitable to her condition avowed her inviolable attachment to bothwell and even wrote him a letter which the lords intercepted wherein she declared that she would endure any extremity nay resign her dignity and crown itself rather than relinquish his affections the malcontents finding the danger to which they were exposed in case mary should finally prevail thought themselves obliged to proceed with rigour against her and they sent her next day under a guard to the castle of lochleven situated in a lake of that name the mistress of the house was mother to the earl of murray and as she pretended to have been lawfully married to the late king of scots she naturally bore an animosity to mary and treated her with the utmost harshness and severity elizabeth who was fully informed of all these incidents seemed touched with compassion towards the unfortunate queen and all her fears and jealousies being now laid asleep by the consideration of that ruin and infamy in which mary's conduct had involved her she began to reflect on the instability of human affairs the precarious state of royal grandeur the danger of encouraging rebellious subjects and she resolved to employ her authority for alleviating the calamities of her unhappy kinswoman she sent sir nicholas throgmorton ambassador to scotland in order to remonstrate both with mary and the associated lords and she gave him instructions which though mixed with some lofty pretensions were full of that good sense which was so natural to her and of that generosity which the present interesting conjuncture had called forth she empowered him to declare in her name to mary that the late conduct of that princess so enormous and in every respect so unjustifiable, had given her the highest offence, and though she felt the movements of pity towards her, she had once determined never to impose in her affairs, either by advice or assistance, but to abandon her entirely, as a person whose condition was totally desperate, and honour irretrievable." that she was well assured that other foreign princes mary's near relations had embraced the same resolution but for her part the late events had touched her heart with more tender sympathy and had made her adopt measures more favorable to the liberty and interests of the unhappy queen that she was determined not to see her oppressed by her rebellious subjects but would employ all her good offices and even her power To redeem her from captivity and place her in such a condition as would at once be compatible with her dignity and the safety of her subjects that she conjured her to lay aside all thoughts of revenge except against the murderers of her husband and as she herself was his near relation she was better entitled than the subjects of mary to interpose her authority on that head and she therefore besought that princess if she had any regard to her own honour and safety, not to oppose so just and reasonable a demand, that after these two points were provided for, her own liberty and the punishment of her husband's assassins, the safety of her infant son was next to be considered, and there seemed no expedient more proper for that purpose than sending him to be educated in England and that, besides the security which would attend his removal from a scene of faction and convulsions, there were many other beneficial consequences, which it was easy to foresee as the result of his education in that country. The remonstrances which Throgmorton was instructed to make to the associated lords were entirely conformable to these sentiments which Elizabeth entertained in Mary's favour she empowered him to tell them that whatever blame she might throw on mary's conduct any opposition to their sovereign was totally unjustifiable and incompatible with all order and good government that it belonged not to them to reform much less to punish the maladministration of their prince and the only arms which subjects could in any case lawfully employ against the supreme authority were entreaties, counsels, and representations. That if these expedients failed, they were next to appeal by their prayers to heaven, and to wait with patience till the Almighty, in whose hands are the hearts of princes, should be pleased to turn them to justice and to mercy. That she inculcated not this doctrine because she herself was interested in its observance, but because it was universally received in all well-governed states and was essential to the preservation of civil society that she required them to restore their queen to liberty and promised in that case to concur with them in all proper expedients for regulating the government for punishing the king's murderers and for guarding the life and liberty of the infant prince and that, if the services which she had lately rendered the Scottish nation in protecting them from foreign usurpation were duly considered by them, they would repose confidence in her good offices and would esteem themselves blameworthy in having hitherto made no application to her End of section eleven chapter thirty nine part five